0: starting a new pulpit series um, called End Times Ezekiel, End Times Ezekiel, all right? Um, it's uh, End Times Ezekiel is not the whole book of Ezekiel, it's a section of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's 48 chapters, by the way, so if you want to do a pulpit series on the whole thing, it's going to last close to 11 months or 10 months, but anyway, so I hope all of you guys Are are uh, all set uh, for the preaching. I'm I'm actually making myself all set for the preaching um, as well. Uh, Okay, all right. So first question is, what is N times Ezekiel? Right, N times Ezekiel is the last fifteen chapters of. The book of Ezekiel. If you don't know, like, wait, 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 wait. Back up a little bit. What is Ezekiel, right? Because you don't know. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you uh, you haven't had the chance to go through your whole Old Testament since you came to faith or something. So Ezekiel is a book in the Bible, okay? It's a book in the Bible. It's somewhere like yay in the middle bit Uh, About the 60% mark, you know, um, in the thickness of your Bible. He was a prophet, right? We'll get to that in a moment. So, Ezekiel is 48 chapters long. The final 15 chapters, 15, 16 chapters, thereabouts, okay, speaks about things that's going to happen in the future, right? In the end time. So, So, yeah, I have it on the screen. It says it depicts God restoring his people after a long cycle. And this long cycle is like, Rebellion, God's people rebels and then God judges them. They experience trauma in the midst of it and then they return to Him. And so it's been a long cycle. In fact, God's people have gone through many cycles of rebellion, judgment, trauma, and then return to God. And it's going on and on. But Ezekiel goes through one of those cycles for us and it culminates in the eternal renewal, the everlasting, forever and ever renewal of people, renewal of relationships, renewal of worship, renewal of our cities, renewal of our land in the new heavens and a new earth. And that's why it's the end times portion of Ezekiel. Now, why are we studying this? Why are we studying this? Well, I'll tell you why we're not, what's not the reason why we're studying, because we don't have enough eschatology in our airspace. That's not why, it's not as if like, um, we woke up with nothing better to do and go like, oh, I think we need to add more noise into this end times thing, you know, that we live in. It's not because we've got not enough eschatology. If you are following main church, you are following other churches, you will probably know that, um, like every every church is touching on, no, I exaggerate, but many churches are, are talking about end times issues, eschatology, uh, um, that, that that's another word for end times, things at the end, right? And so uh, it's not strictly because we got not enough of that. In fact, we have quite a lot of that. In fact, if I may say so, um, that as we go through as a main church with Pastor Chu and his Revelation series, and then we are, yeah, yeah. The, the world is coming to an end. I have a I have a barking knock in my house. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. As as we go through Revelation series, main church is going to be going through first and second. Uh. uh Zech- the ending of Zechariah, and then we're going through Thessalonians right now in the main church as well. You go to anywhere right now, chances are you're going to hear someone engaging on these topics. Not surprising. It's because of COVID. Everyone's trying to think about trying to try navigate. You know, uh. Issues about what's happening in this world. So so, as we go through it, nonetheless, our End Times Ezekiel series will help you to, to navigate your way through Revelation a little bit. You will see Shades of Revelation chapter 3. Uh, 16, where you see the Armageddon, you will see shades of Revelation chapter 21, new earth, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. You will see shades of Revelation 22 um, in the river of life. So we'll see a little bit more of all this later. But let me tell you why I believe this is the, this is the time that the Lord wants us to pay attention to this portion of scripture. So number one, that this portion of scripture is, <coughs> excuse me, i got something stuck in my throat. This portion of scripture is full of hope and promise. Okay? Everybody say hope and promise, right? Say hope and promise. This portion of scripture is full of hope and promise that what? That God is committed to his people. Right, that he is so fully invested into his people that he's going to go all in with them, and whether they're all in means they're going to go all in uh, uh, to 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 take them through judgment, to take them through pain, to take them through trial, and then to take them out of it again. We're going to see that over the course of the next twelve weeks. But he is fully committed to his people. Number two. We're studying this because this is going to help us to know how we as Christians are to lead in our communities, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our and in, in, in this land. So, so maybe you say, oh, Pastor Fertz, is this just for church leaders? No, this is not just for church leaders. This is for all Christians. Why? But then, I'm just a Christian. I'm just a normal guy in the pew, right? I'm not like a leader leader. Then, no. Every Christian is called to be a leader in our community, right? Because the New Testament says, Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. And what does a city on a hill do? Does what does a city on a hill do? It shines light, it leads people in, out of darkness into marvelous light. So every single one of us has a calling to lead as Christians today in this chaotic world. And this portion of scripture in Ezekiel is going to help us know how we are to lead. Number three, why this is such an important, helpful passage for us, section of scripture for us, is because it gives us a glorious, a real and tangible vision of heaven. Right. And I think we could do with that. I think we could do with some good news at the end of the tunnel. I think we could do with some light, you know, um, at the end of a long night. Right. So, so I was almost going to write here concrete, but it's not quite concrete, but it's tangible. You can almost feel it. You can almost taste it. We will get that. But these are some of the reasons uh, why I, as your pastor, feel that this is such important nutritional intake for SIBKL at sunai Bulo in this season for us to really feast on the Word and grow, be fed, be grown, be changed by it. Amen? All right. So let's jump into Ezekiel itself. Today, we are doing a big picture right? And times Ezekiel, big picture. And so I want to share with you a little bit about some background so that even if you came in with very little knowledge, uh, you won't be completely lost. So who is this guy called Ezekiel? Ezekiel was a priest. He's a Jew. He lived in Judah, right, in, in, in Jerusalem, just like many, many other Jews about 600 years before Jesus, right? About 600 years before Jesus, that's BC, Ezekiel was a priest from a priestly family. But you will see later that Ezekiel was called to the vocation and the ministry of a prophet. Now, one thing you got to know about prophets... Prophets don't just predict the future. In fact, if you look at all of biblical prophecy, a very small proportion of it is about predicting stuff happening in the future, right? Majority of the prophetic word is hearing from God how we are to order our lives today, okay? So so I think that prophecy has a bit of a bad rap uh, for being all about predicting the future. And maybe among Christians, sometimes we don't dare to to exercise or to allow ourselves into uh, the, the, the exercise in this gifting of prophecy because we think that it's all about future telling or what we call foretelling, but it is often, more often than not, not that kind of thing. It's about hearing from God about how we are to order our lives today and to declare it and speak it authoritatively. That's called foretelling, right? Telling about what's coming now, right? So that, so he was called Ezekiel, priestly guy, okay, called into a different vocation. And maybe some of us are experiencing that right now. You started in one, one vocation and then uh, one, one, one kind of industry and maybe the world changed, right? And if you find yourself doing something different, well, the world changed for Ezekiel and he found, found himself doing something different. What changed for him? Well, during those days, Israel was... Two nations, okay, and then the northern nation, tribes got, you know, by, by enemies, Assyria. The, the southern kingdom called Judah, okay, started being attacked by Babylon coming from the east. That's modern-day Iran, right? Modern-day Iraq, Iran, the area, right? So, the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom attacked them. They were forming political alliances with Egypt. Okay, at that time they were forming political alliances with Egypt, hoping that Egypt will be able to support them and stem this type of attacks from Babylon. Now that they 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 hedged their, their their bets wrong, you know. Uh, um Babylon was stronger than Egypt. And essentially, after uh, some 10-15 years of all these political kind of like tensions, eventually Babylon started to siege on the city of Jerusalem. Now, in the first deportation. They brought Jews out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, and brought them to Babylon. That was the deportation where we have the prophet Daniel. Okay, so Daniel, the young boy, ended up being part of the first deportation. Ezekiel was part of the second deportation. About six years after Daniel's deportation, Ezekiel was transferred, resettled, right? Essentially, he was a refugee, right? Together with a bunch of other Jewish people, they were brought to Babylon and they stayed in Babylon in a refugee camp next to an irrigation uh, 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 channel, okay, canal, uh, called the Keba Canal, right? So, their refugee camp was next to a river or next to a big monsoon drain, so to speak, okay? And that's where they camped out, okay? So, so... Ezekiel was a prophet running at the same time as Daniel and Jeremiah. So if you know a bit of your Bible, you know, you, these names will be familiar to you. Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. Daniel was in Babylon, but Daniel operated and moved among the aristocracy in Babylon right he, he he was there with the kings he was there with the with the with, with the gov- places of government he himself rose to positions of power within the power structure in babylon so one guy jeremiah was in was in uh, jerusalem two guys were in babylon but out of the two daniel was mingling with the upper class the government people the aristocracy right Ezekiel was the guy who was down by the longkang with all the refugees and all of his people. So you see three different prophets running at the same time, speaking to the same nation of people, but all doing different things in different places. Now, one of the things, reasons why Ezekiel's ministry is important, he says in, I believe, chapter 3, that he is, to be, to, to, he is called to the people to give them a word and to give them word after word after word so that, this is what God says, they will know that a prophet has been among them so that they know that God is legitimately speaking. Because you know what? In those days, there were so many false prophets. There were so many different voices. Everyone was saying one thing or another. And God's voice cuts through all of all of the other words. And God says, I want you to speak so that they know a prophet has been among them, right? And one thing you're going to see as you go through the book of Ezekiel this line that shows up over and over again, I believe it shows up 80 over times, uh, um, is, and you will know that I am the Lord, right? And you will know that I am the Lord. This thing is going to happen to you, and they will know that I am the Lord. This thing is going to happen to your enemies, and they will know that I am the Lord. Over and over again, it shows up, right? Um, If, I don't know about you guys, my first introduction to Ezekiel was not from the Bible because I didn't grow up as a Christian kid. Okay, how many of you, how many of you in somewhere in the 1990s, you watched Pulp Fiction? You raise your hand, right? If you watched a movie called Pulp Fiction, raise your hand, right? My, my first contact with Ezekiel was Samuel L. Jackson uh, uh, with a gun uh, facing a bunch of kids who owe him money or owe his boss money. <laughs> and he says to them, uh, uh, what does he say, right? Uh, um, and you will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you, right? Um, I will strike down with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison my brothers and you will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then he unloads, Isaac Ling, you are in the house. Yes, good stuff, right? Yeah, I had that in my head and then I blanked out. Yeah, so that was my introduction to Ezekiel, very non-Christian and then I became a Christian many years later and then, oh, so this is, and I checked out the actual Bible verse from Pulp Fiction and like, Quentin Tarantino is misquoting the Bible totally. The verse does it's not. He combined different verses from different places. But that line, and you will know that I am the Lord, right? Um, What's that? And you will keep on seeing it, right? Now, Ezekiel opens... I think Ezekiel is very interesting because it shows you a very different side of God, right? It shows you that God can be quite strange, quite different. In fact, some might even say Ezekiel shows you that God can be weird if he wants to be weird, right? Or that he's just so, he can be very different from us, okay? And, and we just have to deal with it. This is our God. He is not exactly like us. And we have to come to terms with God on His terms. Now, Ezekiel opens chapter 1, verse 1, with these words, right? Remember I told you he was there uh, by the longkang with all of the refugees. And he says this, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kiba Canal, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. Now, if your book opens like this, I think you kind of know what you're going to be in for. A few things you're going to be in for. Number one, this guy has dated every single one of his oracles. Super precise, right? 30th year, 4th month, 5th day of the month, right? So, you will see through the book of Ezekiel. By the way, if you don't have your Bible with you, I want to give you this like one moment. You all can scurry around your house and go get your physical Bible and you open it up to Ezekiel because today we're going to be like, we're going to be going back and forth um, this a little bit. So, I've got mine. It's open up here. To Ezekiel chapter 4, 1 around here. Okay? So, do that, right? If you want to go get your Bible, go get your Bible. Now, a few things you got to know. Number one is Ezekiel's recording of his dates, of his oracles are super precise. Nobody, no other prophet has recorded his oracles in this way, right? Um, oracle is like a, like a foretelling type thing, right? Um, uh. Another thing you'll see just from this first verse, right? Chapter 1, verse 1, you already can tell, okay, that um, he was there with the exiles and that he sees visions of God. So along the way, you're going to see lots of pretty incredible things. And I don't want you to assume that seeing these incredible things is the norm. You and I know they are not the norm, right? We don't just walk around outside our house and suddenly see like, a, like, like four angels, wings touching each other and wheels with eyes and all these things, right? Um, so, so it's not the normative experience, but Ezekiel was appointed by God to see them. And he was appointed by God to see them so that he could communicate something, not just to, the, to, to their fellow exiles by that big longkang, but so that those words can carry through 600 years to the time of Jesus, 2,000 years more to the times of SIBKL at Sunaibulo, so that we can jump into this text and understand how we can orient ourselves for this day. So I was showing you, right? Very well recorded, right? Now, another thing is his prophecies are all sequential, Okay. So, because he dates it, you can tell that they are all sequential. And here's the thing. Ezekiel structured the whole book of Ezekiel in the most beautiful, amazing way, right? Like It's like a piece of literary genius. It is so beautiful. I'm going to show you the structure of the book of Ezekiel. The whole thing is structured in a mirror image. Okay? Now... I see some of you guys who are like, you're, you're pushing your face into the screen go ahead push your face into the screen and see the whole book of Ezekiel is in a mirror image okay biblical scholars call this a chiasm c h i a s m or, or this is a chiastic structure right but what it really means is that it opens first 11 chapters okay it talks about God Yahweh comes to investigate temple, right? He comes to assess his temple. You are renting a house, comes to investigate and check your house, right? And so Yahweh comes to check on his temple. He finds that the temple has been defiled and then his glory lifts and departs from Israel. Section B is now Oracles of Judgment. He, God is speaking prophetically. chapter 12 until 23, when at 24, Jerusalem is besieged by Babylon, right? Now, they haven't fallen yet. 24, they are besieged by Babylon. 5 until 28, 10 is a bunch of prophecies, oracles against foreign nations. So the earlier one was oracles of judgment against Israel. But 25 uh, to 28, 10 is, is prophecies against foreign nations, the enemies of Israel. And then for a short window, right? I think I got that wrong. It says 28, 11 to 10. It's not 11 to 10. Okay, it's 11 to something else. It's 11 to... Um, gosh, I'm so sorry. Can somebody... somebody, uh. Uh, verify that and put it on the chat, right? It's 28, 10 to... Sila make slides in a rush. It's always like that, right? Until 19. Until 19. 28, 10, 11 until 19. It's not 10, it's 19. 9 and 10, 0. is next to each other. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, the apex, the peak of Ezekiel is the judgment on Satan, right? on the fallen sheriff, the fallen angel. That is Satan himself, right? Um, And then from there, it spins back to reverse D, right? So, so, So let me help you see this. There's section A, B, C, D, E. And then it mirror images backwards to reverse D, which is similar to D. Oracles against all the other foreign nations continue, right? And then it reverses back to reverse C, which is a mirror image of Jerusalem being besieged. Now Jerusalem is destroyed. In chapter 33, legit, we're going to see this, right? 33, Jerusalem is destroyed. And then it moves from 34 to 39 is reverse B, which is the flip side of B. B was oracles of judgment against Israel. Reverse B is oracles of restoration for Israel. And then it goes backwards to reverse A. Okay, where initially Yahweh comes to investigate his temple, finds it defiled, and then he leaves. Okay, reverse A, which is how the whole book ends, is Yahweh returns to his temple, restores the eternal city, and then he stays there forever. And when I saw this, uh, church, when I saw this, I got so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like... So beautiful! I, I I've seen chiastic structures in like small passages before. Like Paul, you know, he says something, then he comes out, then he goes back in again. Like I've seen that before. I've never seen it for a whole book, you know. So I was so I was so enamored. I, was, I don't know what I don't know what's the word. But you know what? I believe that what this goes to show, this in itself, what this goes to show, is not only that Ezekiel was a thoughtful man, right? He wasn't just like a guy who just does weird things, okay? But that God is a most beautiful, literarily brilliant God, right? And I think we can appreciate that, okay? We can take a moment to appreciate that God is creative, God is brilliant, God is more brilliant than all of us, okay? And so he chose Ezekiel uh, uh, to, to, have, to, to structure a book like this. But even then, that's not the point. Even then, that's not the point. I want to show you now, this is the big picture of the whole book of Ezekiel. Okay. Wait, just one, just one, back to the previous slide. Okay. This is the big picture of the whole book. Today, we're going to be in the first 11 chapters. Just look, we're going to scan through the first 11 chapters. Okay. Um, no deep diving today. Okay. Just a f- scanning through the first 11 chapters. And I'm going to show you later how the rest of this whole. 12 weeks, right? This week plus another 11 weeks, we are going to be in reverse C, reverse B, reverse A, okay? Starting from Jerusalem's fall, going back to to all the oracles of restoration of Israel, and then all the end times parts will come in, right? That's where we're going to be at. So let me now zoom into the bottom part of this screen, okay? The reverse C, B, and A, okay? So we're going to get into this. Let me show you um, for the next 11 weeks, what the preaching from our Sungai Bulo pulpit is going to look like. Now we can go to the next slide. Next week, we're going to be showing you from chapter 33 about God's call over Ezekiel to be a watchman. And I believe that this call that God gave to Ezekiel is for every single one of us today. Is it relevant to Ezekiel? 100% because that's the literal reading. Is it relevant for Israel? Today, quite possibly, because Israel has a high calling to be a light to the nations. Is it relevant to the church today? We're going to see that next week. Okay. But just so you know, I believe it's a yes. If not, why am I sharing it to you? You are the church. You're not Israel, right? Okay. So it is relevant to the church. After that, Jerusalem is destroyed. Okay, we won't have a sermon purely on the destruction of Jerusalem, but I'm acknowledging it to you right now. Then you see God telling Ezekiel to speak to the shepherds of Israel how they have failed. To shepherd, how the weak the have not been strengthened, the broken have not been bound up, the sick have not been healed, the lost have not been found, right? And so he speaks to them, and then he says these words to them: I myself will go and shepherd my sheep. Y'all know this, Ezekiel 34, right? And it and it plays out again in John chapter 10. I myself have come to be the good shepherd, right? And then you see in the ending of verse, of chapter 34 that he says, now my sheep will graze on this land and they will finally be safe. No, no, Almost like no weapon form against them, right? No predator can come to harm them, right? And the land will finally yield its fruit. They will be on a pasture land that is safe and that is fertile. And finally, my sheep will find peace and rest. I will make a covenant of peace with them. Now, the next three sermons, these three sermons that you see at the top, right, speaks about our role in our community today. And I believe, and you, I will show, we will show you from this pulpit, from the Bible, that every single Christian has a role to be a prophet, has a role to be a pastor, and has a role to be a protector. Right? Every single Christian. This is not just Fergus Ong's job. This is not just Pastor Ramesh's non job. This, <laughs> this is not just the leaders of your church or Pastor Chu's job. You know, this is every single Christian is called to be a prophet, to help articulate the words of God so that we know how to order our lives. Every Christian is called to love and care for one another, to bind the broken, to, to, to heal the sick, uh, to, to, to find the lost, to be a pastor. And every Christian is called to put up fences and to establish a covenant of peace and a covenant of protection over ourselves and each other and to be a protector over the weak around, among us. So this is going to be the opening, how God draws us into the end times of Ezekiel and the end times for us. Right, as he draws us into whatever you want to think about end times, whether it is this lifetime, two lifetimes more, next generation, five generations on. Remember, I shared with you all from First Thessalonians 5, we don't speculate, we just be ready, right? Remember, okay? So how are we going to be ready? By being raised up to lead in every sphere of life, not just in church, but in every sphere of life, okay? And how? Those three sermons are going to be key, right? In helping to shape our hearts. Now, the next four, the whole middle section of this series, we're going to be looking at how, so so God starts pronouncing a word against the nations that trash talk Israel, right? Those who curse Israel, those who mock God's people, right? What's going to happen to them? What kind of fate awaits them? This is referencing a little bit like like, like a shade, of reference back to uh, of to Genesis twelve, when God says to Abraham, "Those who curse you, I will curse; those who bless you, I will bless." Right? How does it play out here during a time when God Himself is laying down some serious fire on Israel? Right? You almost like you read it. You are going like God. I don't know why you can say that those who hunt down Israel uh, will be so cursed, but at the same time, I see you scolding them like so, like scolding them so hard, right? So how does it work out? Ha! Week five, week five. Come, make sure you come for that, and we'll see how to navigate how we speak about not just Israel, national Israel, but the church and all of the movements and things that God is working on. Okay, so we'll come for that. Includes, huh? it includes. Trash talking other churches. It includes saying dissing other people in your church movement. It includes all of these things. Okay. So come for that. Okay. Okay. Kids are getting a bit excited. Don't worry. Let's stay on this. I I don't know if y'all can hear. I can hear, okay? But don't worry, okay? Then then God speaks about how He's going to breathe life into into His people. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to put a heart of flesh into you. And then after that, He says, I'm going to gather all your dry bones. I'm going to breathe life so that from being dry, dead bones, you're going to come together and you're going to become an army of the living God. And I don't know if it's connected connected or not, right? I think it is, right? After he raises up an army that he speaks about and against all the foreign nations that are coming and all the enemies of God, right? Coming together, okay? And it's it's epitomized by a foreign nation called Gog, okay? In the land of Magog. And this is going to speak, there's going to be shades of Revelation uh, 16, Battle of Armageddon. Is it the same thing? Come on week six. 7, 8. Come in week, seven, week 8, okay? Make sure you hear that. So this whole middle section is about old enemies, new life, and it culminates in a huge, epic battle. Okay, when I saw this, I was thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> aren't all epic movies kind of like building up on this this narrative arc as well, right? Like, like first, the team is gathered, they're given a mission, then they go out, they go through all kinds of things, it culminates in a big epic battle, and then after the battle, victory, restoration, everything comes back together, right? Okay, so restoration. The final four sermons in this series is going to look like this. We're going to look at the new temple, okay? The new temple... Um, so we can click that, okay? Um, uh, and then the prince, there is a prince, right? He kind of looks a bit like, who is this prince, right? Um, and because there's a gate assigned just for the prince to write in, right? Who is he? Is it Jesus? Did not, you know, sometimes he behaves a bit like a normal priest. Sometimes he behaves like a super priest, you know. So who is this guy? Let's come back, right, in uh, week number 10, right, to find out, right? And then remember the part where Ezekiel goes into the temple and then there's water flowing out from the temple and then he goes out and then the water is like ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, shoulder deep and then after that it's like too deep. He cannot uh, uh, go in short of having to swim and be submerged in the water, right? And then out of this thing, then you start seeing the description of not just the temple but the whole focus expands beyond the temple to the whole city. The whole city is being described. The measurements of the whole city and the allocation of land is being described for you and then you see how God establishes the perfect eternal city of God. This whole final section speaks of the new heavens, the new earth, and forever perfect worship, perfect fellowship, perfect oneness with God forever. Now, here's the thing. All of us must pay attention to this one thing, which is super critical. Ezekiel was written to 600 BC Jewish crowd who are migrants. He didn't write it primarily, first of all, for modern day 21st century Malaysians with internet. Okay, we are his secondary audience at best. His primary audience are Jewish refugees in babylon from 600 bc which means that they have no concept of jesus christ on earth so whatever lens we have where we can see jesus it is our privilege of being post jesus of being ano Domini people, right? Okay, that we can look back at all of these prophecies and say, ha, huh, I see Christ here. I see Christ there. I see watchmen. I see Jesus. I see shepherds. I see the good shepherd, John 10. I see this. I see this. I see this, right? We can, okay? But remember, peel back some of that lens a little bit every once in a while so that we can appreciate what His... F- 600 BC audience were experiencing what they are hearing. Right now, you're going to see some prophetic, some prophetic language. You're going to see Ezekiel speak of what is to come. Okay, now, what is to come may have shapes of Jesus. We will show you. But that shape of Jesus is not yet fully obvious to them. Are they waiting for a Messiah? Yes. Do they know that there is a Messiah who's going to come? If they know their Jewish scriptures, yes. Do they, is it tangible? Is it something that they concrete that they can see? No, no, because they have not seen them yet. We have the Gospels. We have seen Jesus. They did not. Okay, so it's looking we are looking at a very ancient document okay speaking about the possibility of one who is like jesus before he ever came so know as you read ezekiel that we have the benefit of hindsight his initial audience did not and so when you look at prophecies about the last last things okay know that it is the first filter And then future prophecies about the last things makes it more high definition. Does that make sense? Let me give you an illustration, right? Ezekiel is here in 600 BC. He's telling you something about here, okay? But what he says about here, okay, is sometimes going to be fairly low resolution. Does that make sense? Okay, he's going to tell you a low resolution picture of it with one picture. For their day, it is crisp. It is as crisp, as clear as it can be. As clear and as crisp as they can take. Okay, and then years and centuries pass. At different points in church history, more people started to be able to see or or God gave revelation to them about the same thing happening here. Let's use the simplest example, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, right? He sees more things. God gives him vision of more things happening here. And the things he sees here are way more high definition than the things that Ezekiel saw here. Does that make sense? But the things that he sees now, everybody can see perfectly crisp and clear is because the people who are here have moved on from the people who are here. And they have moved through the the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so now they see things more clearly. And I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous chapter on love, there is a section at the end that says that now we see as a poor reflection in a mirror. One day we shall see face. To fix. You know what that means? It means that right now, the things that we can see by means of revelation are going to be low rest, low resolution. But one day we shall see a higher rest version of of what God is going to say to us. And that's because God is taking us from one degree of revelation to another, to another, and He is refining for us what we are going to see and hear of Him. That's why Jesus said that greater things shall you do. And that's why um, in Haggai, it says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house is because God is constantly revealing a higher and higher definition of the end times to us. So, so we might say, but pastor folks, then why are we seeing a low rest version? Why don't we just study Revelation and, and give up on Ezekiel? Why? Because without Ezekiel, you can't have Revelation. And if you were in if you were in Revelation session yesterday, without Exodus eight, 9, 10, the plagues, right? You can't have Revelation uh, uh, fifteen and sixteen, right? You just can't. It just doesn't exist, right? Because Everything that is more high def later built on the previous thing, which in their day was already very sharp. But then, does that make sense? Are we good? Okay. So I really wanted to share that with you, so that we can go into biblical Old Testament prophecy with the right frame of mind. Now I'm going to show you again. Remember the chiastic structure, right? Okay. I'm going to show you a few, a few, a few snapshots of one to eleven. And when you see 1 to 11, I want to show you how it bounces forward um, and gets repeated again in, um, in the end times Ezekiel portion, right? So here, let, let's, take, let's take a look at one. Next week, Pastor Ramesh is going to be preaching on watchmen, right? Watchmen shows up in chapter 3. God appoints Ezekiel to the vocation of a watchman in chapter 3. And then he repeats and refines that vocational call in chapter 33. And so Pastor Ramesh will be preaching from chapter 33. He will definitely make reference to chapter 3 because God is saying the same thing then and the same thing in 33 again. But what's the difference? In three, he came to inspect the temple and that's when he was giving uh, um, Ezekiel his job, right? After that, he left. And so he speaks to Ezekiel one more time in 33 to tell him that now your role as a watchman is important for the last days, okay? Now we're gonna, let me show you another one. Let me show you another one. In chapter 11, right? God tells Ezekiel, I'm gonna give Israel a new heart and a new spirit. Okay, I'm going to renew you. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take away your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And then all the middle chunk of Ezekiel, lalu, right? And then in 36, he repeats the same words again, as if to confirm, as if to remind him. That's why I told you earlier that God is super committed to his people. He says one word at the start, he will say it again, you know, and in that way, he is the Alpha and Omega over our lives, right? It's such it's such a good reminder that whatever he opens, he will close. Whatever he bookends, it's two-sided book, and He will keep on reminding us and that which He started, He will bring to completion. Amen? Now, I'm going to show you a few more of this, okay? And through the next three, I want to show you three reminders, okay? So, this is a sermon. It's not just a teaching session. So, I'm going to give you three reminders for us, okay, as we enter the following weeks and for us to navigate our lives today. In chapter one, He comes, to inspect the temple. He's in, in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, you know, he's like, he finds the temple in absolute wreck. And he, he himself, his heart is absolutely wrecked for what has happened to the temple and what has happened to Jerusalem. And so in chapter 10, he departs. Right, Literally, um, he departs, but he returns in 43 to restore the temple. And then 43 through to 48, he restores the whole city. So I want to show you a few verses, okay? That shows you his glory. Shows you his glory. Chapter 1, verse 26, And above the expanse, over the heads, there was like there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance and upward, who is this? This God, this Yahweh, huh? okay, he's on the throne, huh? Okay, and upward from what he had, the appearance of his waist, I saw as if it was gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it was the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. This is the closest a prophet can get to describing the glory of God. You see similar language again in Revelation. You see similar language in Daniel. you see similar language whenever God uh, uh, shows something, uh, reveals Himself so vividly. This as vivid as it can get, right? So now, this is the glory of God. Who gets to see this? Moses could scarcely see the back of God, right? And now, Ezekiel sees something like, it's like slowly becoming more high-def. You see what I'm saying, right? Okay, now look at the next verse, right? Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And this is the verse that describes to you how the glory of God lifts from Jerusalem and it departs. And this is one one thing for us to, to, to remember, my friends. That the glory of the Lord, my friends, if you have seen it, first reminder, if you have seen the glory of the Lord, right, next slide, let's not take it for granted. Let's not take it for granted, my friends. If you have seen the glory of God, let us cherish it. If we have tasted of His glory, let us be thankful and stay faithful. Now, I can tell you this, the most recent time when I can say that I saw something truly amazing and glorious was in Okay, it's not the most recent time, but how about this? It was just two years ago, we were in Kuching for Malam Pentecostal. How many of you guys were there, right? And the stadium was filled with some, what, 50,000 people maybe, right? And maybe maybe 40,000, right? 40,000 people, you know, to the brim and get them seated for... Virtually like, like, like had, had muscular dystrophy and he could get up and he could run around, right? Like literally I saw, I've seen the glory of God. I have. I know you have. I know many of you, you have experiences like that where you've seen God work in a miraculous, supernatural, powerful way. Let's not take it for granted. You know why? Because the people in Ezekiel's day took it for granted. And they thought, ah, this is normal, normative already. This is standard already. This has become norm. And then they kind of like treat it common and they treat it like it's nothing. Like, oh, it will always be around. No, we, we don't have to worry. We don't have to take it as so what, you know? And guess what? It lifted when God's people failed to take the glory of God as holy and as precious, He lifted. He said, I will not stay in this place. You have defiled the temple. You have defiled my name. I'm going, right? next one I want to show you. So this first one, okay. Now next one, fall of Jerusalem. Wow, you see, now Ezekiel takes, it God do some really strange things, okay, God makes Ezekiel do some really strange things and in chapter 4, he makes him do this brick Lego thing, you know, uh, where, he, where he reconstructs Jerusalem and then he's trashing it, you know, um, to show that Jerusalem will be sieged. And then after that, he has to lie on one side you know, for 390 days, then he has to lie on the other side for another 40 days, you know. Like, he does really strange things. He cooks, he breaks his bread with human excrement you know and God says do this so that people will know how how stinking it will be for them you know in the days to come it's like wow he does all these weird things to do what to tell the people Jerusalem is going to fall four and five go read it for yourselves and then in 24 Jerusalem is siege in 33 Jerusalem is destroyed but guess what New Jerusalem shows up in chapter 48. At the very end, you see the new city. It's no longer Jerusalem of the earth. It's no longer Jerusalem of of today, of the new Prime Minister Bennett. You know, it's not that. It's not that Israel. It is a new heaven, a new earth, a new city, a new dwelling place, the perfect version of what Jerusalem on earth should have approximated. That's the Jerusalem we are looking at. That's in chapter 48, right? Now, let me show you some verses. Let me show you some verses. Oh. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, wow, this is so angry, or oh, I real so I scared, right? Surely because you have defiled my sanctuary, With all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will withdraw. My eye will not spare, I will have no pity. Verse 12 A third of you shall die of pestilence, be consumed with fire, with famine in your midst. A third uh, uh, shall fall by the sword all around you, right? Um, And a third part I will scatter to all the winds and will unsheath the sword after them, right? Wow. Fear so, and there's one more verse some more, you know. You see this in um, at the end uh, uh, in 33, right? In the 12th year of our exile, in the 10th month, fifth day of the month, you see you see Ezekiel's pattern is all like that one, right? A fugitive from Jerusalem came to me in Babylon and said, the city has been struck down. And in the dot, 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 imagine Ezekiel crying. Imagine that fugitive crying with him because finally the great city of Jerusalem, Hancho. And in verse 28, it says, and I will make the land a desolation and a waste and her proud might shall come to an end and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. And then they will know that I am the Lord when I've made the land a desolation and a waste, blah, 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 right? But what can we learn from this horrific, horrific thing? What can we learn? I tell you what we can learn. That for God, there's no such thing as too big to fail. This is the second reminder. God is prepared to tear down a big precious thing in order to cleanse it and rebuild it. With God, there is no such thing as too big to fail. You know what that means, my friends? If there is something so big, so precious, but it is defiled, it is broken, it is not right before God, and in our human eyes we say cannot break this. This is too. This is this has been around for hundreds of years, thousands of years. We cannot must preserve it. But God says it's broken from the inside. It is. It is it is cancerous, toxic from the inside. You say no. We we try, okay, we do a bit of facelifting, okay, God, a bit of facelifting. He says no. And he's prepared to tear the whole thing down in order to build the whole thing back up, if building it up means cleansing it and giving it a new heart and a new spirit, God will do it. Our human inclination is to protect our big institutions and to protect our big creations. God does not care how grand, how old it is, He will tear it all down if it is defiled. And let us remember that very clearly. Let us remember that very clearly. Yeah? It doesn't matter. It could be your business, your family business. It could be our 25-year-old church. It could be Malaysia's independence. It could be whatever you want to talk about. It can be anything. No too big to fail for our God. And the final one, the final one I want to share with you, right? You see the holiness of the temple. In chapter 8, Ezekiel goes to the temple, God shows him, He takes him in a vision from Babylon to Jerusalem to look through a hole in the wall. And what he sees in that is the defiling of the temple. But then God restores the temple again, right? Let's take a look at the text, right? In Ezekiel 8, it says this, Ezekiel looks through a hole in the wall of the temple and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. Then he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Wow, every time I read Ezekiel, yeah, I feel so scared, man. It's like, wow, it's such a creepy uh, a picture for Ezekiel to peer through the, uh, a hole in the wall and see what he sees, right? But God restores, you see, He restores. In the very end, He does restore the temple and true holy worship in the end, right? And what does this teach us? This teaches us that His holiness is still super, super, super important. Holiness is always a big deal to God. And just because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus doesn't mean we can take it lightly. Just because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus doesn't mean we can take for granted that we can just keep running back to the cross and be cleansed and after that come out and live any old way we like. That is not a license for unholy living. We still must live to the highest call, the highest human possible way to live by means of holy living and righteous living. And when we legitimately fail in spite of giving our best, we run to the cross, be cleansed, and then come back out into the world. That is true. True holiness does not look like people just living any way they like and then just keep using Jesus as a backup card. That is not, that is not true holy living. So my friends, as we close, right now it's 11.15. First time in my life I finish on time, right? 11.15, our service runs 11.15. As we close... Let us remember that our God is holy. But you know what, my friends? It's Father's Day and we want to grow to be able to take responsibility for our land, to take responsibility to be the fathers and mothers over Malaysia, amen? Let us turn to God the Father. We need a fresh wind. We want His Spirit to be poured out so that we can really become like Ezekiel, like a man who will speak forth. God's word. Amen. Dear Lord God, you can take take this word that you've that you've spoken over us, and that word can become flesh in our hearts. It can shape us. It can grow us. It can transform us. And in this way, you can tabernacle inside us. You can a we can be that temple of the Holy Spirit. We can be like an approximation of that forever new temple in the end. That our bodies can be a temple of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, what use is a temple if you don't pour your spirit out? So Lord Jesus, pour your spirit out. Right now, church, everyone just open up your hands and I just want to pray and then we'll finish. Just open up your hands before you. Father, in the name of Jesus, on this Father's Day, we ask Lord God for the Heavenly Father to give us a huge outpouring of your heart. Because as sons and daughters, we want the Father's heart. As sons and daughters, we want the Father's spirit. We want to share what you have. We want to think like you. We want to feel like you. We want to be angry with the things you're angry with. We want to love the things you love. We want to be, we want to be grieved by the things that grieve you. We want to be passionate about the things you're passionate about. So, Lord Jesus, pour your spirit out because without your spirit there is no transference there's no transformation we can't be like you but lord jesus today we want to be like you if there is one gift we can give to our father on this father's day it is the desire to be like father so church let us all ask of the lord sincerely honestly openly lord heavenly father pour out your dna into us and shape us And Father, I pray for the remaining uh, 11 weeks in this series that you will continue to take this word and make it flesh for every one of us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen.